As we are here tonight, um, I want to start off with a story. I know, who here has been to Home Affairs? Okay, more yellow. Oh. So, especially the British, right? They they get they get royal treatment there. Mia <laughs> yellow uh, And the beauty about that is, it's like it's it's a place where we all need to go to, but nobody wants to really go there due to certain stories or personal experiences and and one of the places we had to visit before Leon May came for Jen wasn't home affairs itself but it's the same principal building whatever but it's the UIF so you go there and you claim that uh, Jen is not going to be able to work for the next four months due to the baby and businesses usually pay UIF and then you claim it for a small portion of the salary back which is fantastic, especially if it really goes well and you early. And I remember the first morning we went there, everything went well, we were sitting in the queue and then suddenly the security guard just stood up and screamed, follow me! And then everybody follows him and then you got this really formal, handwritten, old school car key with a one or a two or a three or a five on and then they just shout the number and you fall in the queue and you go to the department or whatever room you need to go to and, and luckily it's sort of organized so you sit there and then this lady comes first and she checks all your documents and then she took Jane's document and the first document was the one that you download from the internet and you fill in you know everything you need and then you show that to them and then the first thing I say is like oh sorry that's the old one we haven't been using it for quite a while this is the new one please come back tomorrow <laughs> because your work needs to fill this in. So already, you know, you're a little bit demotivated. And so the next day we go back, we sit in the queue we even earlier so that we could be fourth in a row and not like 20th. And um, they open at 7.30, we went up, sat, and then I said, sorry, the system is, this is like a Bible verse in Home Affairs. It's not working <laughs> and, and we don't know when it's going to be on again. So we were literally fourth in the row and we waited two and a half hours for the system to go on because we were not leaving. And, and in those situations, some fascinating things happened. And, and one of them was actually the guy that I sit, sat next to. We, we sat next to one for more than an hour before he started a, a conversation with me. No, easy. you don't want to have a conversation with somebody in those queues. You just want to get in, get your stuff done, and then hope they don't say come back tomorrow. And he's like, F, pal, I'm here for the sixth time. I was like, yes, that's really bad. You know, there's always something wrong with my papers. You know, this is not motivating for me knowing that this is only our second time. <laughs> you know, it's like, where is this? What, what, do, you, what do you mean? What, what, what's going to happen here? And, and he's like, uh, well... The reality is then this is not right and this is not right and then that is not right and I was like well okay that's that's crazy so I just thought it's like having a normal conversation with the guy defocusing from the negative stuff and I'm like so why are you here and he said no I had a job lost it now you know coming to claim a little bit of bucks hoping to get something maybe start again somewhere new I was like oh that's really interesting what did you do before you did this job no I had my own plumbing business I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So tell me more about yourself. It's like, I don't think this guy thought I was going his direction. 
And then he said, no, no, um, I'm getting married again, uh, sort of new. I said, oh, that's great. What happened to your first marriage? It's, it's, it's like, you know, it's not like a conversation you should have here, but I'm really getting interested in this, uh, this guy's story, his life. And he's like, well, um, let's start off by I have two sons. And uh, when they were still in school, I had a hobby of being a boxing coach. I was like, that's really great. Yeah, said, and then basically, um, I went with my youngest son on a tour and I was as the manager and as the coach and I came back and I caught my wife sleeping with one of my boxing kids' husband. And uh, so it didn't, you know, to hit in this moment. That's, that's where the, the pain and, and the uncomfortableness is coming. And I was like, that's really bad. So when your son's is like, well, my youngest son is working here, uh, so somewhere, yeah, I see him every now and again in the city. But the oldest one, scream. He's a Muffy staying in Kimberley and I haven't spoken to him in years. I was like, what? What do you, what, what do you mean you haven't spoken to me? You all know, Deep Luxem knew about the whole affair. Now, let's just take a note here, right? This happened in high school. So uh, let's say his kid is probably 22, 23 years old. So it's seven years back, maybe further, maybe a little bit closer. And this guy just starts telling me the story of, of what he thinks and how he feels. And, and at, this, at that moment, I have this conversation with him, uh, which I think he also didn't expect. But, but uh, just for a moment, just year pause, because we usually judge really quickly, right? Especially with the language, the words, the, the way people say and do things. Because the first, like, obstacle I needed to cross over was like, what? Why, why are you talking like this? You know, it's like, you know, this probably liberal side of me popping up. It's like, I want to clap you, you know, for just, just not wanting to talk to your son and calling him what you've, you've called him. And, and, and I had to get over that in a few seconds with a, hmm, ah. Interesting, you know, that's a safe way to go. You say if you ever get into one of those conversations, rather go with the knot and the verbally inside your mouth, tongue sort of agreement. Hmm. You know, you're just putting that tongue down. But well le okay, let's get let's let's go on, right? Before we continue on with his story, we need to dig in also a little bit into the rest of the field. To and we'll end up with our last conversation. So everybody you know or have heard about Levites, right? So who were Levites? Anybody knows? That's good. Hopefully after tonight you will know a little bit more about Levites, right? So let's go, let's start with the story of the Levites. So basically the Levites come from somewhere, someone, and sort of a way. And, and, and one of the, the stories we have is Jacob and Eshua, his brother, right? And if you've maybe read the story or heard about the story in the past, what is significant about this picture and the story, if you remember the story? Jacob was the youngest and his brother was the oldest. And in tradition, that means Let's say like this, we will follow up as king or in father's footsteps, the oldest. So in this moment, he doesn't look too hungry, but Asia is quite hungry. 
and his brother has soup with him. But with a little bit of extra salt, meaning that he will do what? Hello? To give up his firstborn right. So you can already see the negotiation here. So this is really important to remember of the story. Just add this picture as you watch at it. Realizing that something really happened here which is significant towards the Levites. So, um, and, and as we know, Jacob had desires as well. But before we uh, go into this sound of music type of sculpture, we need to remember one of the other things that Jacob also did is after he stole his brother's birthright, he went to his father to get it. And how did he receive that birthright? Knowing that his father was blind, he pretended to be Yeshua. So you already see the manipulation in the story. So it wasn't always manskein in Ruasa. You know, you had to fight for your stake in these times. You had to do something to get it. And Jacob had a plan, a specific plan. And he got it and he went on. So Jacob, like most of the biblical stories, they don't meet at the movies. They usually meet at the well. He, he, saw, uh, he saw a beautiful uh, girl called Rachel, which he uh, wanted to marry. One of the most uh, beautiful romantic stories actually for me in the Bible because he made a commitment towards the father saying, I will work, I think it was about for seven years, to be able to take your daughter's hand in marriage. Leif, I really love you, but seven years. That's, that's, that's really, really long. Uh, and um, like I had my wife on a four-year plan and I surprised her oh, in two years. It's like, there's no doubt. So just remember, so, so we have the story of Jacob coming through, laying his soap, getting the birthright from his dad by cooking him, meeting Rachel. And Leah uh, also has a very important role to play in this because, uh, let's just go back to that story first. Leah was Rachel's oldest sister. And, and in the traditions, uh, which Jacob probably didn't also know, is there was traditions in that way, but... So the seven years were done, Jacob finally got to his wedding day, and then they had veils over the prides. It really had to be thick veils because you can't see the girl's face. If you read the story, you realize you couldn't identify completely. And then at the night, what happens? They go into a dark room, huh? And they uh, make love. And then the next morning when the sun came up and there was no more veils and everybody was lying naked next to one another, what happened? He woke up next to Leah. And he's like, what? <laughs> Are you in, why are you in my bed? It's like, this is not what I worked for, sorry to say, <laughs> you know. And you can just imagine the furious reality and uh, the shocking reality in his mind, because Leah was probably the whole night through type of vibe. And, and so it continues on and he went to a dad and he spoke to her father and his, her father said, well, Jacob, sorry you didn't know, but we have a tradition. I am not allowed to give you Rachel because she's the youngest daughter. The first daughter, which is the oldest, needs to get 
married first. So you can work another seven years and then you can marry Rachel as well. So just hashtag karma for taking your selling lanky soap, you know, and getting a lanky soap at the end of the story as well. But still committed to work another seven years with uh, with with, uh, with uh, Rachel and Leah's dad to be able to marry Rachel as well, which is also a little bit conflict if you can just imagine your future husband working his bang bang on for you, gets to marry your sister first and then only you. You know that's that's weird. But anyway, so Jacob and Leah and ja they all had sons in and and one of the most famous stories of one of their sons was Joseph so it's actually interesting to know how all of these things fall into place and this is actually one of the important um, stories in, in the Bible when it comes to the Levites uh, because we we know the Levites uh, as people that um, now let's, let's stick with Joseph in the pit there first we we know Levites as priests normally right but here is an important note when you read about Levites. Levites weren't all priests, but all priests were Levites. Does that make sense? Okay. I had to say that really daedalic for myself in English as well. So just saying that if you were a priest in the ancient time, you were definitely a Levite. But it didn't mean that you had to be when you were a Levite, you were automatically a priest. And, and this next picture, so basically that was just like a family breakdown coming down to the Levites, saying that where, does, where do the Levites come from? You know, dad, karma, all of those things. But as you can see, one of those old school drawings of the actual Levite, um, creating an image for us saying what their duties were. So the Levites, were actually meant and they were chosen to become priests but guardians uh, from for the temple and that's where why they were always there as well when Jesus taught one of the most interesting stories and it's a small detail we miss in, in Luke 10 with the parable of the Good Samaritan is that a priest walked past and a Levite so automatically, Jesus, what he's doing there, he, he is nominating, acknowledging the holy ones, the ones that all needs to take care of everybody. So when you read the Good Samaritan again and you read Levite, remember that they are also connected towards the temple. They weren't just a Levite. Because the other duties they had, they actually had duties of carrying things between temples. They had duties of actually guarding the temple. And, and some of those who most probably had more of a priestly role sang the psalms and uh, wrote the wisdoms, read the wisdoms of Solomon in the temples. So these were holy people. And, and one of the, the great examples is, is Joseph as a more priestly advisor Levite because what happened? His brothers threw him in the pit. His father, which was Jacob, you know, missed him and they came drought and like a quick sum up just about uh, Joseph's story is at the end of the day he landed at Poro and told him what his dreams meant 
acting as a role as a Levite, because that is what Levites did in their time, being part of the interpretation of what others can't see. And Levites were those ones that were allowed in the holy places, serving in the temple. So these were holy people. So, but sometimes when we think about holy people, we only think that they, um, they had, you know, these big Bibles in their hands, you know, and they sang out loud, and everybody was like, "Hello, hello!" But uh, they actually had swords. And their feet were dirty, and they were as human as you and me as well. They had roles to play and fulfill. So that's a short story of Levites. And and the, the the great thing about you know pulling this through all the way from where they started off as a tribe is is their responsibility was to be the people that stood like in the space between God and humanity. So that's also why it's very important when Jesus mentioned priests and Levites. And one of the Levites, uh, which we all know as Matthew, um, is, is something that we, we maybe don't really recognize when we read the book of Matthew. So just a little bit more deeper information. We actually don't know who literally wrote Matthew. Somewhere in the se second century, most probably guys that looked like this <laughs> decided that Matthew the Apostle most probably was responsible for writing the book which we now call the Gospel of Matthew. And he used Mark and Luke and another uh, source which we call Q, not 007 Q, but we use it to formulate his book. And his book is very historical. It has a lot of detail. It's very Jewish of, of kind. And, and when you read it, you actually find out that it brings out a lot of history, or it brings in a lot of history into his writing towards the gospel. But now for a moment, imagine he was a Levite. He was one of those gents that most probably walked past the Greek Samaritan. He was also known as a tax collector. So, in the Old Testament time, they were also the people that collected the offerings for the thing. So, they weren't really loved anymore by this time in the New Testament because part of the Roman culture just made them top more money and more money like SARS, you know, out of the normal person's pocket. So they weren't really loved. And they were definitely seen as sinners. So it's not all of them, but mostly those who have been called tax collectors. So once again, you can see the history from where it all started coming through down to Matthew, of just knowing that what people actually thought about Matthew. Because we love Matthew. He's a fantastic guy. He wrote one of the most detailed, Gospels we all read today, we worship from, we wrote songs from, we learn more about Jesus from, but we all maybe forgot who he was. Usually when you see a picture like this, like the, there's a halo around and the guy has a massive Bible and he's dressed up really neatly, um, which could have been true, but 
actually was a guy sitting at a toll gate, you know, and uh, nobody wanted to pay it, so some were boycotting it, and some are not. But if you wanted to pass through, Matthew will call you out and say, well, you need to pay up. And you need to pay up an expense, and nobody loves spending money, especially when it doesn't give you anything. So there's a lot of hatred and the best connection to it's Matthew's lifestyle was that he was a sinner. So, which is great in the fact for us, to be honest. And, uh, and then we also realize when sometimes uh, when people refer to Matthew, they will also call him Levi, which is uh, a referral to him as a Levite. But I want us to read this text, uh, which is Matthew 9, just 9, verse 9 and 10. Uh, to, to understand something profound about the meeting between Jesus and Matthew. This is the Amplified. Uh, as Jesus passed on uh, from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's office. And he said to him, be my disciple. I love this part of the Amplified. Side of me, side of my party and follow me. It's like, I'm part of this party. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and especially wicked sinners came and sat, reclined with him and his disciples. Now, what is profound about this is this text is definitely making it known to us that they are sinners. Take note. They are unlovable people. They are Mr. Unknown next to me in UIF for the sixth time. And the beauty about this is when Jesus has his first conversation with Matthew, what did they do? had a meal together and this is a deep theological thing that actually needs to change in all of our lives because usually when we want to bring someone or share someone about the story of Jesus we have a booklet with two questions so what do you have you died tonight where are you going or you know and will it be heaven or hell and then you ask them this straightforward question i remember this this was how i was trained when i just got out of like i don't know i wanted to do singing and, and and this is what they taught us it's like usually the the entrance point is asking someone if you die tonight are you certain that you will go to heaven or hell and then that guy needs to respond and then you need to ask him why not and then you need to tell him about jesus to be honest, I didn't see this at all in this story. Actually, this asks so much more from us as believers than we actually want to give. Jesus is setting an example that if you want to share my love, my way of life, you need to do it with the un pleasant people as well and you need to do it around the table so just for a moment there maybe in your own life 
in conflicts, in, uh, in big discussions, illogical or normal or political or trying to sort out how to um, make sure a baby doesn't die. <laughs> Those conversations all usually happen around a table. Or a glass of wine, or beer, somewhere in the restaurant, we have these buffets. And, and, and the great thing about this is that because it's like it's part of us, of who we are as human beings, to share a meal. And then uh, when Jesus meets Aleva, the first thing they do is they share a meal together. And which is very important for me here is, is actually like a epiphany I had, uh, which I, uh, uh, I tried to write and I asked my wife to edit for me. But, but we do a train naked, right? So training naked means actually that you just put yourself who you are out there, being Jesus in a, at a gate, with a which you invite for a meal. That is the situation, you do that. Just being yourself. In a broken world, there is one place where salvation is based, felt, and that is around a meal with friends, family, and strangers and that is what I want us to make the training naked for ourselves and it's just not to share the story of Jesus but it is to be friends it is to be family and it is to be open to invite the others it's like a table can never really be full except if there's that one unknown person whose story you have not heard and are dying to hear. So the great thing about the story is what happens is, is what after the Levites uh, and, and the tax collectors had this meal with Jesus, they all came to know him. And, and which is important about the story is like if you have a meal and you stand up there and you walk away and it felt like Jesus wasn't there, you are one lying to yourself. Because I have a theology that says Jesus is always around food. <laughs> and two, it's maybe because your intent was false. There's no such thing as a quick meal with Jesus and a friend and an unknown. There is something like we meet on a Friday evening and we enjoy buying, cooking, sharing wine, beer, whatever together. Because that is who we are. And in that we learn, we love and we create more opportunities for others. So um, this brings us to a hashtag which is really known in third place. The hashtag that says hospitality equals salvation. So in every moment you get in life, like uh, your mom and the operation, it's a beautiful, beautiful story of, of, of this. Hospitality equals salvation. Beautiful hashtag when Jesus most probably tweeted around, you know, uh, Levi and Matthew and everybody around the table. Somebody around there would probably said, for the first time, hashtag <laughs> hospitality equals salvation. 
And let's be honest, there's nothing in life as great, as beautiful, as an amazing meal together with friends and family, and even people you don't know. The reality about it is just when it comes to the unknown and the people uh, that we don't know, Francois de Commodore of Sitna, is are we open to the man sitting or the woman sitting next to you in the UIF row, in the home affairs department, at work, at school, at university? Are we open to ask them questions, to get to know who they are? It feels like I know this guy's history, but I, re- I don't even remember his name. And to, to bring it all back, you can try to be like Jacob and Ezra to sell something off and try and claim something you don't want. You can maybe be in situations where you work your butt off for something and don't get it and maybe need to repeat. But at the end of the day, will your heart, your lifestyle be that one with Jesus? stands in front of Matthew, a tax collector, a Levite, a sinner, a unknown person and ask him to come and share a meal and even metaphorically we didn't literally had a meal in the UIF I sat with that guy and I said you know what well, it's really sad for me to know that your history has bitten you but I do hope that you would rather try and make peace than be frustrated with this anger in your heart. And then the systems came back on and they called us to go forward to give in our papers. And it ended there. It felt like a, it felt like a lifetime. Uh, but the beauty of it was that I came over the obstacle of resisting a guy that is talking really weird and not well of his own flesh uh, and I'm coming to a point where I could rather encourage him to find peace and that is what I encourage you to do in this week to do continuously and that's one of the things why we do third place because it's a place where we can have a meal together be reminded when we all sit together that Jesus has and will continue to share that meal with each one of us and he invites us to open our doors to more I'm gonna pray for us and uh, there's a little bit of coffee left uh, yeah Lisa oh yeah and then Lisa just wants to interrupt uh, saying that there's a coffee lace so if you just want to be part of the coffee crew and get a hand clap in front, you know, from here and get some celebration, you're more than welcome to to write your name. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then um, we can all continue on our Sunday evening. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have shown us through many ways that your heart's desire is redemption, grace, peace, 
And sometimes we forget that maybe in a small or a big meal you bring all of those things together and in a moment every single day we can be reminded that all will be alright with you and friends, family and strangers around our tables. I pray that you will guide us, help us and teach us to focus on hospitality equals salvation, to love you more and to love others with the love you have for us. We pray this in your name.